2: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's the final countdown to the worst deal in history. That's the best deal anyone could have got. Is that clear enough for you? That's right. Theresa May's Brexit plan will get parliamentary assent or not a week tomorrow. So for the next seven days, you will be bombarded with all manner of permutations and possible outcomes. You will be lied to. You will hear exaggerated claims of doom and gloom and brave new worlds. None of it will be final and none of it should be greeted with anything other than a healthy dose of scepticism. This morning, we've got Tory MP Nick Bowles calling for Norway Plus, whatever that is. We've got Boris Johnson telling us to hold our nerve for a better deal, whatever that is. There's Arlene Foster threatening to pull DUP support from the government, whatever that means. And on top of all that, Jeremy Corbyn is hinting that Labour could force a vote of no confidence and then a general election some Westminster sources are suggesting the whole vote might even be postponed altogether confused? Don't be, we'll guide you through every twist and turn, with the help of Andrew Woodcock this morning, he's political editor at the Press Association, 0344 499 1000, coming up later on we'll be opening a can of vegan worms as well, and telling you why bringing home the bacon will soon be a thing of the past, and we want to uh, have the worst careers advice you've ever had, plus we'll be bringing you a few tips on saving money at Christmas 0344 499 1000 you're listening to me, Mike Graham, on Talk radio So here we are then. Uh, We finally arrived at, uh, as uh, what you heard from Julie Hartley Brewer's mouth was, in fact, the final countdown, the absolute and utter crunch week of the Brexit referendum talks, of the Brexit uh, bill, of how or why or when uh, MPs should vote and in which direction. We will be hearing the final results a week tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, which of course is December the 11th. However, uh, there are so many things that might go wrong in between, so many things that might be said between now and then, and I thought the best thing for us to do here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, is to try and wade through all the various policy uh, proposals, all the various suggestions about what we should do to alter the bill that's currently ahead of us, what we should do to change the bill that's uh, currently ahead of us, what we should do to possibly try and uh, make way for a new referendum. There's so many different things going on uh, that we need to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff. And who better to do that than Andrew Woodcock, political editor at Press Association. Andrew, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I mean, my apologies for being sort of slightly, uh, I don't know, uh, over enthusiastic about all the various permutations, but there are an awful lot of them. And I think one of the things that people are, are fed up with hearing is, is, is it's how many different versions of events, what could possibly happen, what may happen, what will happen, what should happen, that I think we need to kind of try and clarify precisely where we are.
3: Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting that normally you'd expect in this sort of a change for there to be a lot of options at the start and for it to be narrowed down and narrowed yeah. down until you've got the final decision. <laughs> in fact, as we're getting closer to the day, the permutations are opening up. And as you say, there's, there's more things now that you can imagine happening over the next few months yeah. than, than you know, anyone predicted sort of six months ago.
2: Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it to you in a way to take us through them one by one. But why don't we start with possibly uh, the sort of, I don't know, uh, year zero option, which is that the, the vote next Tuesday, for some reason, as the sun is suggesting this morning, doesn't actually take place.
3: Well, yeah, I've seen that floated. I've not heard it from anyone in in a position to know that um, that it wouldn't take place. And right. certainly, Sajid Javid just dismissed that this morning when it was put to him
4: mm. on the
3: radio. Okay, um, it's it's the norm if you're if you're the whips um, and you go to the prime minister and say, "Look, we're going to lose this vote." It's the norm to try and avoid that vote. And um, in 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 normal circumstances, that's what one would expect them to do. But these aren't normal circumstances by a long chalk, and um, Avoiding the vote simply isn't possible. They could postpone it, possibly till after Christmas. But yeah. does anyone really believe that uh, that, uh, that Theresa May would argue over her um, her critics in, in the space of the next few weeks? And in fact, there's, there's, there's an argument that says that from Theresa May's point of view, she can go in there, she can lose this vote badly, mm. and then wait to see what happens and say to the MPs afterwards, "Look, what happens when you turn down my deal? If the you know if the markets react badly, sure. if um." You know, big employers say, "Well, it looks like No Deal now. We're going to have to start shifting our jobs onto the continent. We're going to have to move our head offices." There'll be a lot of um, Tory MPs will look at that and think, "Oh, hell, you know, do we really want to to provoke um, No Deal? Do we want to provoke a sort of economic calamity?" And that right. could that could um, lead the way to, to a second vote on pretty much the same deal that's been offered today with possibly an entirely different um, uh, result.
2: Yes, indeed. Now that's, now you've just opened up yet another option I hadn't thought of. So congratulations to adding to the, uh, the uh-huh. miasma. So, more. So, so I guess, presumably as well, they've already got in place the, uh, the, sort of the, the idea of when they would have a second vote. If they did lose the first vote next Tuesday, the second vote would be sometime in the new year, presumably.
3: Uh, yeah i mean i've, I've heard suggestions that they try to do it before christmas um i even saw a suggestion once that they did extend the, um, the the parliamentary session so they go right up to christmas eve and have it then right um you know the, the question would be how did the the markets and the economy react and if if there was you know if a pound fell for Cliff, um it may be you you take that moment of shock and surprise and um, and concern amongst the mp's and you you take advantage of it straight away you don't allow them to go back to to their their constituencies and spend Christmas possibly you know, in the case of lots of Tory MPs, they go back to their constituencies, and their associations you know the, the activists on the ground are a lot keener for brexit than the MPs in, right. in Westminster. Uh-huh. So every time they go back to their constituencies, their, their sort of backbone is stiffened a little bit and they've got a little um, you know little boost for them you know, from a hard brexit mm. basically.
2: No, indeed, because I mean, even looking at the overall kind of balance of Westminster and the MPs who are likely to vote against this particular uh, referendum bill uh, and this Brexit uh, sort of plan, it's difficult to see anybody kind of ganging up together. You don't really see, as we would normally do in this situation, you know, you know, well, here's a group of Conservative MPs who think this way. Here's another group who think that way. It's almost like everybody's out for themselves.
3: Yeah, I mean, there are people who are diametrically opposed to each other on the whole issue of Brexit who are going to be voting together right. on the um, the Theresa May um, proposals because, um, you know, there are Tory MPs who want to remain in the EU. They'll be voting against Theresa May. There are those who want to leave without any deal whatsoever. They'll be voting against Theresa May.
4: Yeah,
3: um, Labour will be voting against, and so will, the, by the sound of it, the DUP, who, you know, Labour and the DUP have very, very little in common, but they'll all be trooping through the the no lobby there, and we're looking at... Um, I, I think there's very few people in Westminster think that she's got any chance of winning this vote next week. Mm. Um, but it's the scale of the, the, the rebellion and the rebellion from all sides, as, as you say, that, um, that will determine sort of how we move forward afterwards.
2: And what about this Labour threat that's coming over the last couple of days from Jeremy Corbyn and his, and his people about the possibility of them moving for a vote of no confidence in the event that the, that the bill uh, is voted down?
3: yeah well Jeremy Corbyn has said all along that what he what he thinks um, that needs to be done is to have an early general election allow the um the voters to choose a new um, government mm. to, who could who could take the, the break of talks in a different direction um the only way to, to – well, there's several ways of getting a, a general election. The easiest way of doing it is by getting a vote of no confidence through the House of Commons. You've got to get more than 50% of the MPs voting that they have no confidence in the government. Um, this morning we've seen reports in The Times that the DUP may be willing to vote, um, along with Labour, on, on that uh, that uh, motion, uh, which would, would spell curtains for the Prime Minister, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, that would also mean the DUP breaking their confidence supply agreement with the with the uh, with the Conservatives, which is obviously um, you know something that's it's, it's a big step to take. So there's there's no guarantee there that she would lose that. In fact, there's, there's, there's an argument on the other side as well that in, uh, voting no confidence in the Commons would be what she really needs because it forces the Tory MPs to rally behind her, right. and her biggest critics, even Jacob Rees-Mogg, is not talking about um, voting no confidence in the Prime Minister in the House of Commons. He might vote no confidence in a vote of Tory MP to try and remove her as leader, but he doesn't want to to spark a general election. Yeah,
2: and presumably in that circumstance, the DUP would also vote uh, to keep her in because otherwise they lose their kind of particular lever of power.
3: Well, yeah, it's very difficult to see why, if you're a a, a Brexit-supporting Conservative or you're a member of the DUP, why you would want a general election, because... It's, it at the moment those two groups have influence way beyond their size um and the, their numbers in Parliament. Mm. And it's very difficult to imagine that they would they would regain that influence in um in a in a new parliament because the you know the balance of power would have shifted. It's very you know, it's difficult to say who who would who would um, gain out of a, a, a general election. No. if you look at the opinion polls at the moment, Theresa May would win. No, exactly, win exactly. But then you'd say you could say that about the, the election we had last year, she looked like she was going to win that handsomely. And, uh, you know, we all know what happened
2: there. Well, everyone told her that she was going to as well, and she believed them. What's the atmosphere currently in Westminster? What will happen this week, Andrew? Because obviously you'll be there more or less 24-7, no doubt, keeping an eye on things. But as far as, you know, the Theresa May Downing Street machine is concerned, presumably um, either they're softening everybody up for the fact that they may lose the first election, uh, the first vote, uh, or in fact they're very, very convinced that they're going to win it um, and they've got something up their sleeve, which is what Julie Hartley Brewer was saying to me just before this.
3: Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see what they could have at this. Leave that could turn things around at this this late stage. When I, mean, I found I was with the prime minister in Argentina over the weekend, and every time the reporter got closer and was able to ask the question, the question was, "What are you going to do if you lose the vote? Or yeah. well, when you lose the vote?" A lot mm. of people were saying, and she just simply would not respond to that at all. She wouldn't give any suggestion as a plan B, any suggestion that she was she was um, you know ready to, to to shift if if MPs show they don't like her plan. Her, her position at the moment is just absolutely blanket. This is a good deal for the country. It's a good deal for the EU, and she's she's going all out to win this this vote. On the on the face of it, behind the scenes you hear suggestions. That, oh, if she if she lost the vote, it wouldn't be necessary such a bad thing. If she lost the vote by fifty, by 50 it wouldn't be such a bad thing. I even saw a, a tweet from Robert Peston, um, my TV. Uh, I think it was yesterday. He said he he heard someone saying that suggesting that if she lost the vote by 400 then that wouldn't be you know if it was any less than 400 it wouldn't be such a terrible thing. Really? And you know to lose by 400 that means she's only got 100 125 votes left that's that's not even That's a the, massive the loss surely. On government isn't it? Payroll. Yeah. Um and to to in any normal circumstances that would be you know
2: disaster beyond right. beyond um, imagination. So will we see uh, a lot of kind of cajoling and persuading going on this week then?
3: Yeah, it seems from MPs I've talked to, it's more cajoling and persuading than than sort of strong arm tactics. Mm. I think there's there's a lot of one, of one of the interesting things that's been coming out over the last few days. You see, Liam Fox, Michael Gove, and this morning Sajid Javid have all said, "Oh, the deal isn't perfect, but on the other mm. hand, if we don't get this, we might not get Brexit at all." Right. and that's that's a message to the Tory backbenchers: is you might not like it, you might not every little, you know. Um, Every, every dot of uh, every cough and squeak of the, of the agreement. But if we don't get this through, then uncertainty is what happens next. And uncertainty includes the possibility of no Brexit, which is something that she has been saying. She used to say it's my deal or no deal. She now says it's my deal, no deal or no Brexit. And right. that is a message story Tory backbenchers don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. Yes. You know, take what you can now. And, um, and someone like Michael Gove thinks, get this through mm. in March, then it can be changed over the years ahead. I mean, whether he's right or not about that. I don't know, but certainly the spectre of a second referendum and of the possibility of of losing Brexit altogether is one that is looming higher and higher. And it's it's an idea that the government is allowing and is, is, you know, encouraging to build up because they know that's that's something that might sway um, a lot of uh, Tory backbenchers.
2: ventures no indeed and while all this is going on of course the, the the final kind of ingredient to add into the crazy mix is this business of a constitutional crisis and the possibility or otherwise of the uh, of the government releasing the legal advice they've been given or some of it uh, or none of it where where, where is that all going
3: well, you've got Geoffrey uh, Cox is up in the um, in the Commons later on today to make a statement about it. He'll give MPs um, what's, you know, a sort of edited-down version of the legal advice. He'll be open to questions from them, and the government say that's enough, that's um, that's adequate. I mean, there's, there is a long-standing convention that the government never releases the full legal advice on anything because their argument is that if you do that, then you won't get um, adequate legal advice because the people providing the advice will have a, you know, at the back of their minds the whole time, this could be published. Mm. I'll need to be able to back this up, um, you know, sort of in in front of the Commons, and they'll they'll hedge their bets and they'll they'll tone things down. You won't get the the, the full um, you know the the advice that you need. Um, on the other hand, you know, Labour got a motion through Parliament um, last week, um, a humble address to Her Majesty, asking the Queen to require the um, the, uh, the the Prime Minister to release this stuff and. There is a possibility. I mean, John Burkow, the Speaker of the Commons, has, he's willing to consider um, an application that if the government doesn't comply with that humble address, then they're in contempt of Parliament. And that mm. could involve um, you know, Theresa May being hauled before the Bar of, of, of the Commons to explain herself. Um, and it's, it's very difficult to see what the, the ramifications from that could be, because it's, it's not something that's really...
2: Happened this whole. No, indeed. It all seems a little bit needless as a sideshow, doesn't it? I mean, you'd think that they would have more important things to do. I can see why, uh, you know, that, you know, formally you could say we need to be as well informed as we can possibly be. But, you know, to try and force the government into this kind of capitulation of something which they're not even sure is legal just seems to be unnecessarily kind of contradictory, doesn't it? Well, from the opposition's
3: point of view, the the big message they want to get across the, to the the Voters is basically this government is a shambles. They're you know, divided. They're self-contradictory. They're um, they're rowing amongst themselves. Anything they can do which encourages that that impression, that's that's a win for Labour. so you can entirely see why Labour are are pushing for it and pushing for it hard because they'll whatever the full legal advice is, there will be something in there that will annoy one group of the, um, of the Conservatives or another. It will um you know, it will expose some sort of um, of row within government and. All of that is, is grist to, to Labour's mill at the moment, and um, you can totally see why they're, why they're pushing for it. Equally, you can see why the why the Prime Minister is very very reluctant to to. And something
2: like that to happen. Yeah, right. Well, it's going to be a fascinating few days, I'm sure. As I say, Andrew, I'm imagining you're not going to be getting much sleep, I guess, because it's going to be going on uh, pretty much 24/7. But I'm sure we'll talk again uh, before the vote actually takes place. Andrew Woodcock, there, political editor uh, at the Press Association. I want to hear from you, of course. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. What we're going to try and do here on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, as we always do. Uh, so it's not as if we have to advertise It's to kind of cut through uh, all the nonsense and all the uh, sort of the spin, uh, all the stuff that isn't really going to happen, all the stuff. Uh, which is actually promised, which will not be delivered. That's what we want to talk about. We want to talk to you about where it is that you think we should be going. Because, of course, at the end of the day, everybody seems to have a different view of what Brexit should mean, what Brexit should happen. If Theresa May does lose the vote on Tuesday, should she? be forced into having a general election or should we go the tony blair route which actually uh, is not so ridiculous when you come to think of it if you want to go and have a proper second referendum his suggestion i think is the only way to do it which is you either have a hard brexit or you have no brexit at all and you stay in the eu would you go for that 0344 499 1000 this is talk radio
5: normally being a little extra can be a bit much
1: Dangerous mid morning debate with the great dictator.
0: The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Graham from Bushy says, if the government publishes the legal advice in full, then, like the 585-page Brexit agreement, Jeremy Corbyn won't read it in full. Uh, well, I suppose he won't care uh, if he can get himself a no-confidence deal and get to Theresa May out of Downing Street and get himself in. Let's go to the phones, though. 344 a four nine nine one thousand is the number. Andy uh, is in Portsmouth. Hello, Andy. Hi, Mike. Good morning to you. Good morning. What do you um, want to say?
3: Well, look, listen, when it comes to the, the current default UK legal position on Mm. Brexit. You know, we're leaving on the 29th of March at 2300. Now, the thing is that we've taken two and a half years to actually enshrine that into UK law through various white papers, Lords Amendments, Commons Amendments and so on and so Mm. forth, but eventually it was enshrined into UK law. So to actually think at the 11th hour that uh, no Brexit can actually overturn that Because what you would end up having is in the scenario of no Brexit, a people's vote which came out as remain or an extension of Article 50, they all directly contravene and challenge the default UK legal position. So therefore, you would end up having to have fresh legislative um, uh, measures drawn up to actually challenge that default position. And do you really think that by the time they've done the legislative Process that that's really going to be able to be nipped and tucked by the 29th of March. I think that's. I don't think it will, but
2: this is why I said last Friday that I believe the conspiracy theory is that, that basically Theresa May doesn't want to leave, rather, likes the idea of the chaos building up to the 29th of March and then getting some form of extension. And we learned on Friday that the European Union is willing to offer a three month extension uh, on Article 50. So that would take it into like June, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah, but that's that's fine. But, yeah, but as I, as I said there, that the process of extension, the, an extension of Article 50, it, because the European Union may offer that, that is that is com- a complete separate issue to the current default position of where the UK lies in UK law. So just say for example, the chaos has built up. The European Union said, right, we offer you an extension of Article 50.
6: Yeah,
3: they can't just take it because they have to overturn
6: the UK law.
3: The law says we'll leave on the 29th of March. So now, that extension of Article 50 has got to be thrown into the snake's pit at Westminster. It's got to be argued out. It's a White paper's got to be raised. Mm. And the legislative procedures have got to be actually batted
2: all, I mean, all of, all of that is possible. And it may, for all we know, that may well already have been prepared. But what we also know, uh, Andy, and you're quite right to, to say that it's a very complicated legal process. What we also know uh, is that, you know, the, the, the Parliament, the House of Commons, has to ratify the deal. And if they don't ratify the deal, then that doesn't trigger um, a legal uh, exit at all. See well, what yes, I mean? Yes. I mean, you know, that yes, you, yes. Can you, know argue, what, you can argue that that then puts a kibosh on everything. Well, well, yeah,
3: because, of course, nothing's agreed until everything's agreed. Exactly,
2: right. But what I'm saying is that they've also made it the law that the government has to have it ratified by Parliament. So, you know, the government can't just go ahead without having, having had it voted on and successfully put through the House of Commons. They can't then go on their own and say, well, never mind what they'd said, uh, we're just going to press ahead. See what well, I mean? Well, look, yes, but that, well, that's it. But you still got that little backwater legal
3: position where the default position of the UK is as such, haven't you? You and have. still got to be overcome.
2: You have, but, but unfortunately you know, as you know well, as well as I do as soon as you get lawyers involved, you know, this could be bleak house all over again. You could be doing this for hundreds of years. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, they're all getting paid by the hour, so that's great Andy, <laughs> that's a great way to start us off. Thank you very much indeed. Ken is in Luton. Hello,
1: Ken. Oh, on the agile, Ken. Morning, Mike. Morning, Ken. What, what have you got for us? Well, we've got a Labour MP who's going to vote for a second for a second referendum.
2: Where's he going to vote that?
1: Well, when we have the vote for uh, leaving or well, going.
2: Well, yeah, but he hasn't he hasn't got a vote to say let's have a second referendum, has he?
1: No, not until they turn around. If they have an election, right, right, a large number of Labour MPs. <laughs> are sitting in constituencies that voted leave. Yes. Yet they're going to vote to have a second referendum. Sure. What's the use of having a second referendum when they're only going to accept one verdict? Well,
2: I don't think there's any point in a second referendum. I've always said that. I think we should stick with and honour the first referendum and get on with it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, they're not letting you. No, I know. I know. Because, it, I mean, I, I, I accept that it's more complicated than people thought it might be. But nevertheless, uh, this is why I've also said we should stick with the deal that Theresa May has got, like it or lump it, because it actually does mean that we leave.
1: Yeah. But all them Labour MPs that want a second referendum should go over to the Liberal Party and let's have a Labour MP that's going to vote it the way their constituents voted.
2: Yes, I think that's a very good point, Ken. Thank you very much for making it. 0344, a four nine nine one thousand is the number. Felix says, the problem is that all are expecting May to lose the vote by a big margin. Markets would have priced this in, therefore the turmoil May wants will be subdued. I'm not sure she actually does want turmoil. What I think she does want, uh, if I was to be completely and utterly candid, uh, is for EU uh, membership to remain. We don't actually leave the European Union at all. I think that's what she would prefer.
0: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: So you will remember all those months ago when Amber Rudd answered a bunch of questions about the Windrush scandal, uh, which was highlighted, of course, by the Guardian newspaper uh, and by some programmes on the BBC. Uh, the fact that Theresa May was the Home Secretary when it all happened, when people were deported, despite the fact that they had every right to live here. They were deported because they didn't have the right papers. Nobody had bothered to actually do the right research into their uh, particular situation. Some terribly sad stories uh, have come to pass since then. We've learned of how some of these Windrush generation people actually died before they were able to get recompense, before they were able to be cleared of all the things they were accused of, and before they were able to put right the wrongs that had been handed on to them by this very government, and by this very Prime Minister, who was, of course, the one responsible at the time uh, for making, in some words, uh, hurt, in some cases, the immigration people, people coming into this country uh, having a harsh environment. Let's talk now, though, uh, to Robert Winder, uh, Winder, rather, author of Bloody Foreigners, the story of immigration to Britain, and trustee of the Migration Museum, uh, because this does seem to be a ludicrous situation. If the Home Office haven't learned anything from it, then surely uh, we should be looking at even more uh, pressure on them, and even more uh, sackings perhaps. Robert a very good morning to you, welcome. Good morning Mike. Thanks very much indeed uh, for joining us it seems hard to believe when I saw this headline I thought well surely this can't be right that all these months after the Windrush scandal broke and after Amber Rudd resigned that those people who were wrongly deported have still not even been contacted
7: Well you say it's hard to believe, I think tragically it's easy to believe because Mm. this is turning out to be a story with so many loose ends and um, you've just delivered a very clear depiction of the country going through Brexit and obviously we're in a bit of a national tailspin so there's an awful lot of important work going undone and this is sadly just the latest example of that
2: Right, indeed. And so, I mean as far as I understand it, and you'll be able to tell me uh, probably in more detail, once the Home Office discovered that they had got this completely and utterly wrong and Amber Rudd had resigned as a result of the bad advice that she got from her own civil servants I mean, what actually happened inside of that organisation?
7: Well, I think what they did was make a lot of um, very clear and quite correct noises about what a scandal it was, what a disgrace it was, how it had been a terrible blunder, a mistake, not really malicious, and how it was all going to be put right. They made all the right noises. But I think all they did practically was, you know, open a website and say that people could contact it and claim and, you know, they'd be considered in due course. So they didn't energetically pursue the wrongdoers. I think the interesting thing that's just come out now is that then we were talking about the Windrush generation specifically as being from the West Indies. Mm. And I don't think anyone then thought that there was a specific targeting of people from Jamaica and Barbados and St Lucia and Trinidad. And so I remember thinking, gosh, it's probably going to pull in people from elsewhere in the world. Mm. And now it has, because we're talking about people from Ghana and Nigeria and West Africa, and there'll probably be other places. I think they're saying 49 or 50 people who were deported quite wrongly at a time, of course, when they were British. I mm. mean you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the the wolves circling around Amber Rudd and then Theresa May. I'm not sure that calling for resignations is always the best thing here because this goes back a long way. This mm. is legislation done way back in the nineteen sixties and subsequently, because the people who came in that generation were British. They didn't really require paperwork. Right. It's the subsequent legislation that's come in with new regulations and new rules about what's required that people have been fallen foul of Um, so it's a it's a it's a scandal and it's a disaster but it's it's good that these things keep coming out but it's uh, of course dismaying each time
2: no it is and of course you remember those generations of people being much less willing to kind of interact if you like with the authorities and much less capable of interacting with the authorities um, just because you know in the same way that my parents generation would not have known necessarily what to do uh, about how to get a new passport you know and they certainly wouldn't have known how to go online none of that stuff was possible but the fact that Ghana and Nigeria has now been sort of caught, caught up in all of this would would suggest that it was even more I mean as if we didn't know that it was a racist kind of maneuver um, that it clearly was even more racist than we knew
7: Well, I think when we talk about the hostile environment, we do know that. And when I say that it's probable that people elsewhere in the world are going to get caught up in this, I think we're going to see fewer people caught up from Australia and New Zealand and Canada uh, than from Africa and the West Indies. And that's just the tragic truth of this. And um, it's important that that's acknowledged. I mean, they clearly should be more energetic about uh, pursuing people and notifying people who've been so badly wronged and uh, and letting them come back to Britain with all their, you know, honour intact. Yes. Um, and I think that is mainly a tribute to just how, you know, busy and disorganised everything is at the moment. I think there are good intentions there. I think the, the will is there in the department to make full restitution for what happened with the Windrush. And um, I think they're being monitored quite closely by campaigners and so on, keeping them up to the mark. And... Um, so in a way, it's good news that these key things keep coming up, yes. because it, because it means that uh, you know justice will be done in the end. One wishes it hadn't gone so badly wrong in the first place.
2: Well, no, indeed. I mean, I believe that this particular revelation about Ghana and Nigeria has come about as uh, as a result of a question that was put by Caroline Lucas, the Green Party MP, uh, to Parliament a few weeks ago. But but I mean, there was a, a task force, as, as so called, set up uh, by the uh, by the Home Office to help people to supposedly formalise their right to remain in the UK. Um, and thousands of people have now contacted that task force. But but again, without wishing to be unkind, I mean, an awful lot of people who maybe have, have been deported don't even know that this has happened if they're over in another country.
7: I don't want to over-sympathise with the Home Office, but quite a few people who have also contacted those hotlines who aren't necessarily quite as... You know, they're not the worst-case sufferers. Mm. In this? It's terribly hard to target help. I have some sympathy for the bureaucrats involved. I don't think it's an easy thing to undo a nasty piece of work like this. Um, But clearly more needs to be done. And each time this comes up, I think they acknowledge it. But I do wonder, going back to that point about how um, desirable it is to kind of call for heads to roll and for resignations. If Amber Rudd, as you said at the very beginning, had not been forced to resign, and maybe she was inept in not knowing exactly what was happening and how bad the hostile environment was, um, it may well be that um, things would be better now because she would have been in a better place uh, to correct what had gone wrong than a new person.
2: No, indeed. And I mean, um, I don't know what your your view is of the upcoming vote uh, on Tuesday, whether or not Brexit happens, how it happens, free movement of people and all of that. Um, I mean, is is, is is the Home Office going to have a harder job, do you think, post-Brexit, in terms of managing the immigration situation in this country? Or are, are they going to have it made easier in a way?
7: I don't think it will change, actually. No. I think it's terribly hard. And I think if you're a Home Office immigration official, your you know, morning tray um, is firefighting, really. You'll go in yeah. one morning and it'll turn out that an inflatable boat has just been capsized off Brighton. And the next day you'll find that some you know people have come in on the back of a lorry from Holland. And um, it's just a daily policing job, really, which mm-hmm. is tragic, since migration is one of those natural things that's been going on for as long as the country's existed, really, people coming and going. And it's actually the attempts to check and control it that often create more trouble yeah. than there. Solving.
2: Although there does seem to be more of a kind of an organised human trafficking aspect of immigration now than perhaps there was many, many decades ago.
7: Oh, that's definitely an absolutely topical law and order issue. It's yeah. not really about migration policy. Yeah. I think everyone agrees that people charging, uh, you know, refugees £3,000 to get in a leaky boat. Yeah. Uh, that's a pretty clear crime. And mm. I don't think anyone would uh, defend that.
2: No, of course. And what about, I'm getting a lot of sort of what you might call uh, Twitter traffic and kind of chatter, if you like, about the Global Compact for Migration, which is the United Nations uh, initiative. I think it's all due to be signed on Monday. Uh, it's one of these stories that, that what you might call the uh, those on the right of UKIP are sort of very worked up about. And I keep saying to them, look, you know, I've read the report. I've seen the, the Global Compact for Migration. It is not a legally binding document. However, you know, there are those in the fake news business who say, oh, yeah, but nobody's talking about it. And so I'm talking about it now just to prove them wrong, to be honest.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I don't think they'll listen to that. But um, uh, I I just think that international migration is a bit like climate change, kind of demographic, global warming. People are moving. Uh, They're not going to stop. Governments are trying to racing to catch up and try and introduce regulations to control it a bit better. Mm. And, of course, it is very messy. It does need to be controlled better but it's not an easy thing to do it's not and, uh, i think governments are always going to be a little mm-hmm. bit behind and the regulatory framework is a bit like trying to stop raindrops dripping down a window it, they just you know the, the the flow will um go around them
2: no sure but would it not be sensible and i haven't really ever seen a government tackle this properly and i think the time has now come for them to do so would it not be sensible to to, to recognize and to perhaps designate different types of immigration because there are those who are coming through Europe from say uh, North Africa or from Far East uh, uh, Asia or from perhaps Afghanistan places like that uh, from the Middle East uh, who are genuinely fleeing a war zone uh, who may need to come to another country for a while before they can return to a safe haven uh, and then there are the economic migrants who want to come to live in Western Europe because they believe they will have a better chance of, of a better life and, and the two things perhaps need to be treated differently don't you think?
7: Well, they do, but there's more than two things, actually, because someone who comes in to be, you know, governor of the Bank of England is somewhat very different as well. That's from, true, yeah. I don't think, who, I don't think we should have allowed him to come. Like- I,
2: think, I think we should have banned him, sent him back to Canada immediately.
7: <laughs> um, but I think, actually, it's more a question of where you start from. Yeah. I mean, I, think if, I, mean, I would tend to start from the fact that migration, in principle is a good thing mm. and a natural thing. And then you've got to discuss ways to control it because yeah. it can't be uncontrolled, mm. rather than st- from the starting point that it's a dreadful thing and a nuisance and a burden that yeah. somehow has got to be stopped. Because I think then you're in a kind of commutish struggle sure. to do the impossible sure and
2: as you said before i mean it's never been the case that britain has had a period of its time uh, when there was no immigration i mean the whole country was founded on it the whole country was invaded for centuries by people from other lands uh, who have remained here and have made their lives and are so-called now the indigenous population bizarrely from somewhere else and so i mean i spent 10 years of my life working in america i know lots of people who've spent years working in other countries and we should all want to do that and we should all strive to do that
7: Well, our mantra at our museum is that we're all from somewhere else, really. It just depends how far back you go. And you can go back quite a long way. Mm. And, of course, we're now living in an era of high speed, high technology, fast communications. So everything is accelerated. And it's not simple. I mean, I don't think anyone thinks everyone should be allowed to live anywhere. Right. Um, But it's often a question of where you start from. And this debate has gone a bit wrong. And, of course, it's now been distorted, as you said at the beginning, by by Brexit and all the implications of that. I just hope they're not about to um, introduce e-visas to the um, independent republic of your show.
2: No, well, no, certainly. The, but the only way to get into the independent republic is to have common sense and to show that you are actually a person of reason. Um, if you're not, you've got no chance. So, oh, well,
7: none of us are going to qualify. No, well, listen, you're there. going to
2: qualify. You're one of the most sensible guests, uh, Robert, we've ever had on this show. And tell well, me, where you. is the Migration Museum? Because I think people should come and see it and,
7: and learn about these things. Well, it's in Lambeth High Street. It's free. At the moment, it's a pop-up, but okay. it's also a begging bowl. It needs help.
2: OK, well, then let's get some people down there in the uh, spirit of Christmas and, and get some uh, get some money raised
7: for you. Good for you. Thank, Thank you. you. Listen, You're welcome Robert,
2: anytime. I'd love to come down. It's not far from the office, actually, so I'll pop down at some point. Thank you very much indeed. Robert Winder, author of Bloody Foreigners, the story of immigration to Britain. So for all of you people out there telling me that, you know, the UN pact on, uh, compact on immigration and migration is going to mean it, I won't be able to talk about immigrants. I won't be able to talk about uh, migration. I won't be able to do anything in this land because it will all be illegal. You're talking absolute nonsense, talking literally uh, out of the wrong end of your body.
0: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Don't know much about history Don't know much biology Don't know much about a science book
4: Don't know much about the French I took
2: If you're listening to talk radio online did you know you can also listen on DAB digital radio radio is growing and more people than ever across the UK can now receive DAB radio stations with new transmission areas being added all the time so press the auto tune or auto scan button on your DAB digital radio now to make sure you don't miss out for more details go to talkradiocouk forward slash retune but oh, well I don't know what it was too and if this one
1: could be
2: a world this would be. Quite a lot of you want to tweet me about your careers advice situation, some of them very amusing. Uh, Rob says, Ray, careers advice. After chatting to my careers advisor years ago and explaining that I suffered from vertigo during my follow up appointment the following week, she offered me a vacancy for a lightning conductor fitter. <laughs> It's a pretty dangerous selling job, though, to be honest. Uh, Papa says uh, this. I hope it's changed now, but all I know from school is I was spat out at the end, feeling, due to my results, I was only ever going to be poor doing underpaid jobs. No one explained that's not the case to me then. Uh, it was university or bust. And Limbo says, my career's master suggested the pits or the army. And when I told my mother, she said I should ask him if there are any jobs that wouldn't get me killed. Uh, well, that's quite a good point as well. But we want to hear more of your career's advice stories because uh, you're bound to have some funny ones. Oh three four 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 nine nine. 1,000. Going back to the phones, Leo uh, is in Geneva, uh, wants to talk about Brexit. Hi, Leo.
8: Yeah, hi there. Um, I know you you like a good conspiracy theory, so I have one for you. Yeah, go on. Um, I reckon that all of the no-confidence letters are actually in already, but they just, that uh, Sir Graham Brady is just actually not um, making the announcement Uh because in, I mean, probably written in his MP contract somewhere, it says, you know, his primary duty is the stability of the party. So, well, I imagine this happened. I mean, how can the letters not be in, you know, given... The well, amount of I leaders? mean,
2: it may well be, and, and I know that, uh, that that we've talked about this in the past. We're talking, of course, not about the Labour Party forcing a vote in no confidence. We're talking about her own party having a no-confidence vote in the leader. We, do you remember we were told that they weren't sure they'd win... A majority of the votes in Parliament, so they didn't want to waste the opportunity to get her out because if they failed, it would be another year before they could try again. So the idea is, apparently, that they're thinking of doing it maybe after she loses this first vote in uh, on Tuesday of next week. Then perhaps they'll get more of a sort of backing from the rest of the party to get rid of her.
8: But I mean, everyone pretty much knows that this vote is not going to go through. So why would a Conservative MP put their letter in? after the fact rather than now, seeing as it's virtually a foregone conclusion. Well,
2: because what I'm saying is what they don't want to do is fire and miss. And while they, you know, all you need is 48 letters, but 48 votes will not destabilise the leadership. You can't get her out with a, with, with a number less than something like, um, I think it's about 130 something that you need. So they need yeah. to get the backing of at least 130 or so MPs to, to want her out. And they need to vote for somebody else. And I don't think they've got those numbers.
8: But I mean, don't you think her position becomes sort of pretty untenable? So let's say these letters go in, she loses the vote, then even if she narrowly, you know, even if there was a possibility mm. for her to narrowly win that, I yes. mean, oh, no, you could abso- no, you hang ab- on at that point.
2: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, because famously Margaret Thatcher won a vote of no confidence, uh, but yep. was very much destabilized by it, and, and, and not that very much longer afterwards uh, was kicked out of Downing Street.
4: Yeah. So it's so, a, I mean, it's an
2: interesting thing. I mean, the other thing is is that so Graham, whatever his name is, has also said um, that basically he would he would be under an obligation to reveal when the number forty eight was hit. So I I don't think he's actually allowed to withhold that.
8: But he's the only one who knows. Yes, that's right. So you're not going to know either way if, if the letters are there. No, or no but he I mean you have to take
2: yeah. him at his word. If he says that he will tell us when when it happens, then surely he has to, doesn't he? I mean, but do I... you
8: think he has a primary responsibility to sort of ensure that the Conservative Party exists, you know, because perhaps in his view, if, if this comes out now, um, you know, just uh, four months away from the final Brexit thing, that mm. this will signal the end of the Conservatives. So perhaps in, in his estimation, you know, sticking with Theresa May now and not forcing forcing this uh, no confidence motion is the safest bet to actually ensure the Conservative Party still exists.
2: No, I think, you're abs- I, th- I think you may well be right. It's certainly going to be fascinating. But my feeling is is that your conspiracy theory is not right at the moment and they haven't reached that number yeah. because they want to protect themselves and it will come later. But Leo, thanks very much indeed for the call. Oh three four Let's talk to Susan in Exeter. Hello, Susan.
5: Good morning, my lovely, how are you? I'm very
2: well indeed. It's a beautiful sunny Monday up here in London. No, so
5: well it's absolutely horrible here. I've got one burning question to ask you before I embark on our conversation. Okay then. Do you cho- do you choose your own jingles or does somebody else choose them for you? Uh,
2: well that depends on which jingle. I mean I, I choose some for of them. All of I don't all I don't the... Well it's well the answer is I choose some and then yeah. other people choose okay, others.
5: Fine. Well, can you stop making them so attractive because I have to start getting up and doing a boogie around <laughs> the flat and it's getting ridiculous. Oh, do
2: you mean the music that starts after every yes, break?
5: jingles. Oh, yeah, yeah no, that's I mean, not that's
2: not my choice. That is a very talented man that sits behind the glass. Yeah.
5: Well, he is very talented. He because is. it gets me going every time. Good. Well, I'm glad to uh, hear it. Can you, well, can you tell him not to, darling? No, He's I can't darling. because we
2: want the best show we can possibly produce for okay. you, Susan. We don't want to have okay. any nonsense Fine. out there.
5: Okay, fine. um, just thank you very much for that. okay, just to sort of give my little injection into the careers yes um subject <laughs> um. My advice to any youngster is, you know, 14, 15, 16, we're, we're pre-pubescent, we've got hormones exploding all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're pushed or encouraged strongly to go into an area of employment and you feel once you've got there that, oh, it's not quite right for me, you know, mm. um, I don't feel quite happy, just... just try another area yes just look at your heart tell listen to your heart listen to what your inner self tells you you know there's no shame in leaving just find something else and and you will find it you know if you move around my my most looking back over my life my favorite job Mm. was being a little bar assistant in a pub i used to do lunch times and evenings and i wish i'd never left
2: really where was that
5: it was up country. There wasn't enough hours.
2: Up you country? Know, but yeah. Where, where's that then?
5: It, it doesn't matter, does it? You can get a little bar job anywhere, can't you? No, I was
2: just wondering where it was. I was just interested.
5: Well, it was in... Oh, my goodness me, Michael. No, yeah, it's not it, like I'm asking linked, for your
2: bank account number or that's anything. That's
5: okay. It was Lincolnshire.
2: Lincolnshire. See, I've never been to Lincolnshire.
5: Yeah. Well, don't go because it's f- as flat as a pancake. Is it?
2: Yeah, it's quite the nice, the cathedral. cathedral in Lincoln, isn't
5: it? The cathedral, that's about all it's got. Right,
2: okay. Forget
5: the rest of it. But, right. you know, the, the, whole, the, 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 matter, the subject of the matter is I was so happy, you know, you get people coming in, oh, we're painting the house this week, and then getting the other gentleman coming in for his pint, and you get the girls in who want their toasted sandwiches at lunchtime from the college. And it, it was just, I love people, and I found it, I was happy.
2: Well, I'm very pleased to hear it. I think you know sometimes being happy is the most important thing in a job. It doesn't matter how much money you're making. It doesn't matter really whether well, people think it, it's. It,
5: you see, in in a way, it does. Because if you if you haven't got enough money to fit the bills, you're in trouble. But you you can get around it. You could have to take two jobs, which I've done before. But the the whole issue of this is, Michael. Yes. I think you know if 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 you're if you're Try and be happy in your work, and if you're in a job that doesn't make you happy, mm. try Just try and look around. You'll be a loose cannon for a while, but try and, you know, just try and um, put your put your feet out. Uh, put, you know what do they call it? Put your feet up. Put your. Put, put your feet um, up just test test the water
2: all right okay. all right okay well thank you very good advice Susan thank you very much indeed Susan from Exeter says listen if you're not happy doing what you're doing do something else that is very good advice I think very basic but very good advice happiness is the most important thing there's no point in doing a job that makes you miserable because then you'll just be miserable all the time and then everybody else around you will become miserable and then before you know where you are uh, your life will be so miserable that you just don't want to do it anymore
1: across the UK online and on DAB
0: the independent
2: 0 is the number you are looking for. This is, of course, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Matthew Wright will be here just before 1 o'clock to tell us what's coming up on his show uh, from 1 to 4 uh, with Mr Wright and, of course, uh, Kevin O'Sullivan. Uh, What they won't be doing, though, is killing two birds with one stone. Uh, They won't be opening up any cans of worms or, indeed, holding their horses because those words and those phrases may soon be uh, something you cannot say uh, because the vegans are going to be upset. Now, we've had a lot of stories about vegans. We saw uh, William Sitwell, who was the former editor of Waitrose magazine, uh, getting his marching orders, resigning, uh, of course, because he had a rather tasty exchange with somebody uh, who was a vegan, who was trying to get him to admit uh, that they didn't do enough work with vegans. And uh, he ended up saying, uh, yeah, why don't we uh, do a piece about hunting them down and killing them and murdering them one by one? It wasn't taken as a joke, unfortunately, in this snowflake society that we now live in. Who better to describe uh, how bad things have got than Andre Walker, columnist at the New York Observer, uh, friend of the show? Show friend of Julia Hartley Brewer's show as well, Andrew. Very good uh, afternoon to you. Hello, how are you? I'm very well indeed. But you know, uh, veganism apparently is forcing us to confront the realities of food's origins, and increased awareness will mean that we can't use the language and literature that we're used to. And
6: do, do you know who said that? It was a lady called Doctor Hamza. Yes, which I think is absolutely <laughs> superb in of itself. Well, indeed. Right, I've, I've got to, Mike. I've got to say this to you, but I've written this up. I'm glad you've spilt the beans on this report. In my view, it isn't worth a carrot. Yeah, good. But I accept it has led to Dr Hamzar going bananas. Yes, indeed. She may only want to ban meat-related sayings, but that would be trying to have her cake and eat it. My response may offend her, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Yes. After all, she is no longer the apple of my eye. The whole idea of banning food-related sayings
2: <laughs> to, appease, to appease vegans is obvious. Well, it really is, but incredibly, uh, you've just illustrated how many phrases we have got that involve foodstuffs, which I really hadn't thought about, to be honest. Which, which actually don't don't really involve anything, because I mean, you know, if you
6: you know, the apple of my eye doesn't really mean anything anymore. The the way the cookie crumbles. Right. I mean, the idea, the idea that animal welfare will be improved by banning, you know, one or two sayings like bring home the bacon or pie in the sky. Is it in fact
2: pie in the sky? Yes. Which I suppose is is where it gets confusing. Well, I imagine for people who are trying to learn English as a second language, it must be terribly infuriating because the idea of taking the bull by the horns or holding anybody's horses or flogging a dead horse or putting all your eggs in one basket, I mean, they must be thinking, what on earth does it all mean? Well,
6: uh, do you know what? There was a great thing. When I used to work at the European Parliament, there's a phrase in French which is to invoke the wisdom of the Normans.
2: Yes, um,
6: which and presumably it means to, always... to
2: mess everything up, does it?
6: <laughs> it used to always be translated when the French stood up and said it to as invoke Norman wisdom, which is a legitimate, <laughs> a legitimate translation.
2: Well, it would be very popular used... in Albania, wouldn't it?
6: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, you know what? I don't, I don't really know w- what way to take this because, look, you and I are ridiculing this. But you know what? Uh, the, we we discovered with this Waitrose incident yeah. that, you know, there might be someone on the campus somewhere who just, you know, without even thinking about it, used the phrase like bring home the bacon. And nowadays in the society we live in, you know, that could lead to them being sacked yeah. or expelled or having stuff daubed on their wall or whatever it is that these activists do these days. So I think as long as it's, you know, this woman making a stupid comment and us having a laugh on talk radio, brilliant, but actually quite often it's more
2: sinister than that that's what worries me. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I was having a, a, a sort of discussion with somebody on Twitter about this very thing this morning who said to me, uh, yeah, it's absolute rubbish. It's not going to be banned, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, you say that, but actually uh, you didn't expect that any radio station in the world, in a Western world anyway, to ban the song Baby It's Cold Outside, which apparently now is being taken to be seen as some kind of a, uh, an introduction to sexual assault because a man has brought a woman back to his house and he's refusing to let her go out uh, until she sleeps with <laughs> them and there's some line in the song which suggests that he might have spiked a drink. I mean, you cannot literally make this stuff up. The, pr- the problem is, if what you do in life
6: is to set out to be offended, I've called these people professional offendees before today. Yes. The thing is, you know, if, if what you do in life is, if what you enjoy, if your hobby, your, your preoccupation is to find reasons to be offended, you will find reasons to be offended. Yeah. The issue is, I'm offended by the fact that you are going out seeking that. You know, I just don't understand why we have to pander to all those things. And can you imagine a time in the future and It would not surprise me if somebody you know, writes the radio regulators and all this sort of thing saying that we have to ban these phrases? Because I think the problem is we allow these people to get addicted to this. Yeah. Because once they have won these victories, what they want is they want the next one. It's the same way as the minute that they started, you know, clamping down on smoking, suddenly they were complaining about beer and salt and, uh, and sugar and all oh, yeah. that. You know, these, these these people do it for a living. This is an industry. It's something that they enjoy and something, in many cases, they get paid to do, which is crazy.
2: Well, indeed. But, I mean, the trouble is, as you quite rightly point out, Andrea, is that the sinister nature of some of it is that these people won't stop you know i mean for example i saw and there will be those there will be people who will no doubt say to me that i'm being uh, you know ill judged to even uh, bring this subject up but there's a woman who suffers from ocd uh who's apparently goes around whenever she sees a shop or an advertising hoarding or anything making fun of ocd because it is an issue of mental health uh, or using it as a way to sell a product uh she complains about it she complained to i can't remember whether it was one of those kind of diy stores or something because they had you know a picture of a load of tools and it said something like you know everything for the for the ocd diy man something like that and she had them remove it because she said it's a terrible um you know slur on people who have got this particular disorder and so you're what, effectively what, what, pandering to one person who doesn't like something and taking it away from everybody else
6: yeah that's right and, and i think also it cheapens it as well because because you know you hear so many times people shouting you know nazi at people yeah and you think well you know what actually to to compare, you know, Adolf Eichmann yeah. to a bloke who made an off color remark. Mm. Actually, do you know what? I think I think really really undermines what happened to people during the Holocaust. And I think I think that whilst you think that this is a great and amusing way of you making your point, actually, you know, you are this is this was an extremely serious genocide that shouldn't be cheapened no. by being compared to somebody who said something that you happen not to like at that moment in time. No, you're absolutely right. And also, right. Of course, of course right. the other thing is. It's the whole Mary Whitehouse thing, isn't it? Mm. If if talk radio or the BBC or ITV, if what they did pandered to the most easily offended person in the country, it would be boring. And and you know we shouldn't just say because one person. There's an old phrase in law which is, um, you know, would a reason the reasonable person test? Yes, would a reasonable person test? think that the phrase bring home the bacon is a reference to abusing pigs. Yeah, well, no, they wouldn't, indeed. I mean, Rob Rob
2: has tweeted in to say, are we allowed to say breadwinner? I'm guessing not unless we say gluten-free breadwinner. Or you might <laughs> yeah. have to say and um, other breads are available. I mean, I don't know. No, I mean, I I mean it used to be we used to have a phrase in Fleet Street, a very old phrase called, you know, what does the man on the Clapham Omnibus think? But well, I bet they're not allowed to say that in newsrooms anymore because you can't have a man on a Clapham Omnibus. It might have to be a person of indeterminate gender on a Clapham Omnibus. <laughs>
6: That's you know? right. I don't know, an or something. <laughs> but right. you know what? I'll tell you what, though. The great thing about you and I is yeah. that if, if any of these people are listening, they're just going to give up on us. Tomorrow. Well, they will.
2: They will. But that's OK. But that's the thing. The thing is, there's not that many of them who are offended, but they have a much bigger kind of effect on the world than, than, than they really should. But I'll, I'll finish yeah. with this one for you because you'll love this. I don't know if you watched the news at 10 last night on the BBC. They actually had a reporter doing a report from Poland, where, believe it or not, they actually still quite like the coal industry because they've got loads of coal mines there. They dig the coal out of the coal mines and they use it uh, to produce electricity for some of their industries, right? And apparently this guy couldn't believe it. He was actually doing a report. He was down this coal mine saying, I can't believe how hot it is. I can't believe how dusty it is. He pointed to a thing and said, this is the actual coal face as if he'd never heard of a coal face apart from uh, (laughs) in a different kind of universe. And here was one actually in a coal mine. And he said, and and believe it or not, they actually used this. I mean, it was literally like, as as I said to someone on Twitter, it was like a child explaining how a spaceship works. It was incredible. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, and also you t- tend to find
6: the same professional activists who were moaning about the closing of the coal mine and yeah. now all concerned about climate change. Yes, of course. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just crazy
2: it does, it, it does when when they cross over. That's one of my favourite things. It was like when uh, when Theresa May was criticised by Donald Trump the other day uh, when they were all at the G20 over Brexit. And I thought, can you imagine the, the dilemma for so many people who hate Donald Trump and hate Theresa May? They won't know who to back. Yeah, that's absolutely
6: right. That's absolutely right. I mean, but that is the thing that I do love about Donald Trump, because Donald Trump offends everyone that I wish to be offended. Yes. Therefore, therefore, that's the fun of him. So even if you hate him for absolutely everything else, at least the, you can define <laughs> him by his enemies.
2: And uh, and I think that's a worthwhile thing to do sometimes. Indeed. Andre, thank you very much indeed. Andre Walker, columnist at the New York Observer, uh, appears on Talk Radio on many, many uh, occasions and is, will be back, I'm sure, uh, very, uh, very soon. Uh, well, there's a vegan tribunal going on at the moment, just to uh, keep you up to date. Apparently, the tribunal's job is to decide whether veganism is a ph- philosophical or religious belief uh, we may have to bring you more on that particular case coming up uh, very soon right now though uh, you can call us 0344 499 1000 is the number tell us about your bad career advice tell us uh, what you think of the latest uh, brexit nonsense that i've been explaining throughout the course of the morning and of course whatever you do do not bring home the bacon this is talk radio